Hope you brought your Bible. If you find it, open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Matthew 14. You know, it's my observation that virtually everyone that I deal with or talk to is facing some kind of challenge in their life. There's always a health issue. There's a family crisis. There is some kind of concern, some kind of challenge. And, 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 and honestly, it is pretty much across the board. And it's no new phenomenon. It's always been that way. It was that way in biblical days. It's, it's been that way since recorded history. There are storms of life that we deal with. And some astute observer one time said this, life is hard and how true it is. Today I want to talk to you from God's word about lessons we can learn when we're dealing with these issues. A storm in our own life. And the only way we can really get any insight is not to get a support group or to ask a friend, but to look at the Word of God, find our resolve, our help, through looking at the principles and truths of God's Word. As you know, in the Gospels, we find Jesus ever-present doing miracles. Some 33 times we read in the four Gospel events that Jesus is doing the miraculous. Everything from turning water to wine there at Canaan to raising someone from the dead in Bethany his friend Lazarus. And the question becomes, why was Jesus doing these miracles? I, as I thought about that, three things come to mind. First, he did it because he is a compassionate Savior. He cared about people. Matter of fact, we're looking at Matthew 14. You go up just a few verses from our focus text today. You'll read that the, he, he saw the, the crowds. He fed the 5,000, and he looked at them with compassion. And it says, and he healed their sick. He ongoingly was touching lives and making the sick well. You can ask the blind Bartimaeus. That will cripple one at the pool of Bethesda. Those who are uh, dealing with leprosy or demon possession, the woman with the issue of blood, on and on and on. Jesus was compassionate and he did the miraculous. Sometimes he did it to show who he was, his credentials. He was continually doing miracles as a validation of his deity, that he was the Messiah. In our text today, Jesus takes sovereign control over the storm, and he, and, and, and uh, he calms the raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, which resulted in the disciples declaring, surely you are the Son of God. Sometimes it was out of concern. He desired to show that salvation was available through him and him alone. And so we ask the question, were these miracles effective in the transformation of people's lives? And the answer is yes, and it's no. I, I, I think about what happened in Capernaum, which was his ministry headquarters there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we see that he did uh, five miracles, but the city rejected him. Well, did the miracles have an effect on the Jewish people? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, that the Jews were looking for a sign and Jesus would say, the only sign that's going to be given to you is that the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days, so must I, the Son of Man, be in the belly of the earth for three days. John would say in the prologue to his gospel, he came into his own, but his own received him not. And so we see in this text today in Matthew 14, Jesus performs not only the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but right when his disciples in the midst of a storm, he comes, he shows up, and he takes these angry waves, and he brings peace. Please stand in honor of reading God's word today. 
We're going to look at uh, verses 22 through 33. You'll find uh, the text uh, up on the screen. You follow along as I read, and then we're just going to unpack these truths today. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw he was walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had came out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus, to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. He caught him. And he said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and they worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Lord, we declare today, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You're the God who has promised to be ever-present with us. You're the God who calms the storm. You're the God who has saved us and translated us from the kingdom of darkness now to live into the kingdom of your dear Son. So fill me with your spirit today. Help us to walk through this text of Scripture together and be transformed by the principles and truth contained therein. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Four timeless truths we're going to see right out of this text of Scripture today as we give consideration today on dealing with the storms of life. The first thing under Roman number one is this, God's plan may surprise you. God's plan may surprise you. Because you see in Matthew 14, once again, we find Jesus here on the Sea of Galilee. And actually, do you realize two-thirds of the gospel events are taking place there in Galilee around this uh, sea that we call Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret, all the same place. And we find that Jesus gives these instructions. He made his disciples, the text says, get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, I don't know, but I've got to believe there must have been a little reluctance on the part of the disciples. But he definitely had a plan, and he was sending them across. The Sea of Galilee, if you've been there, it's about 13 miles long, that beautiful freshwater lake, about eight miles across, um, uh, and and, uh, really one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus was fully aware what was about to happen, this trouble that was imminent, yet he sent his disciples out to deal with these things. So understand Just because Jesus is leading your life, it will not exempt you from having problems. As a matter of fact, you're reading uh, Matthew chapter 8, a few chapters earlier, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and they still get caught in the storm. So some have argued that we deal with storms of life primarily because we get out of the will of God. 
And while that might be true sometimes, it isn't true what's going on in our text. They're following Jesus' instructions, and the text says he made them get in the boat. Rest assured, he's about to teach them a lesson that they would never forget as he insists upon them now going to the other side. Something else I want you to see, it's the very next verse, verse 23, as he begins to, to pray. As soon as the disciples depart, it says Jesus retreated to a solitary place there to pray. Certainly not the first time we find Jesus retreating to pray. What's Mark 1 say? It says, uh, rising up early in the morning, he went to a solitary place and there he prayed. Countless times we read throughout the Gospels that Jesus is going to the place of prayer. But when you think of it, isn't it a little odd? Jesus praying? God, Jesus is God himself. Is, is Jesus retreating to talk to himself? No, of course not. He's talking to the Father. He teaches us to pray in, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. But, but the unique thing is that we must come to grips with uh, in reality, that there's a com communication among the Godhead. And he's giving us all faith and practice, and he was a man who prayed. All I know, it's, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? But Jesus does give us examples, and certainly for the place, at the place of prayer. We find him praying for children. We find praying before the multiplication of food. We see, we see him praying all night before he would choose the apostles. So he's our model indeed. And he modeled for us the need to persistent, to be persistent and prevailing in prayer. And here's, I've got good news for you today. Jesus is praying for you today. That's what the Bible says. He's at the right hand of the Father ever to intercede for us. He's a praying Savior. The storm seems to come out of nowhere here in verse 24. It was just, there was no warning. The disciples seemed to go out. Things were okay. And then suddenly it wasn't okay. But isn't that like what happens in our own lives? Things are seemingly going, around, going uh, along okay, and then we're blindsided. There's an accident. There's a doctor's report. There's an unexpected expense. We lose our job. There's a problem with one of our kids, or there's a problem with our aging parent. And, and, and we wonder, God, why are you allowing me to go through this adversity? God, I thought you had my back. But you know, Jesus said clearly, look, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And just because we're people of faith, don't think for a minute that you and I have been, ever been exempt from problems. You know, I've learned this, though. Oftentimes, it's in these storms, it's in these problems, it's in these issues that it really peels back the pretense of our life and reveal who we are. Wouldn't you agree it's oftentimes in those dark days of our life that we really learn the most about ourselves? Oh, oh I'm, I'm convinced sometimes these things come to our life because we need to be corrected. Perhaps we've gotten off track. Perhaps there's been a negligence or we've ignored God. We've gone our own way. Maybe pride's made its way into our heart or we've allowed lust to have its way. Or our heart has become indifferent toward the things of God. And if I'm speaking to you, yes, God will allow some things to come in your life because he does want to correct you. He does want to retrieve you. And move you from your sinful behavior. I, I, there's, there's countless examples. I think of the prophet Jonah. God calls him to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to those bloody Assyrians. But what's he do? He goes down to the port at Joppa and he heads the other direction. But guess what God did? He sent a storm, didn't he? 
storm not unlike these disciples we're facing, but not always to correct us. Sometimes he's doing this in our life to grow us a little deeper in the faith that we already have. These men were about to learn some lessons indeed about faith and also their need for dependence upon Jesus, what it should be and what it could be and what it must be. They experienced his power, his dependability, his sovereignty even over the wind, and they obeyed. But Jesus showed up to teach them this lesson. Listen, I believe that trials are God's testing ground to shape us and make us after his will. Yes, sometimes we need to be corrected. We need to learn more about the grace and the faithfulness of God. But I will tell you, these things are unavoidable in our life. Isn't that what it says in, the, in, in James's epistle? He says when the, he, he doesn't say if these trials come your way. He says when they come their way. He says there indeed we will deal with them. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I want you to know I've pastored rich people and I've pastored poor people. I've pastored educated people and I've pastored simple people. I've pastored every kind of ethnicity imaginable on every socioeconomic level. But I can tell you without question, we are all in the same lot. We all deal with problems. And I'm simply telling you today God's plan may surprise you. Because he's not allow, uh, uh, above allowing you a problem or adversity, a predicament to get your attention, to put you back on the straight and narrow path. But he's doing this all out of his redeeming love. First, God's plan may surprise you. Let me move quickly. God's presence will surround you as well. We read in verses 24 through 27 that Jesus shows up. The disciples have been battling this storm. They're in a real predicament. And the text mentions some difficulties they're up against. First, they were a long way from the shore. They were out in the middle of the sea. And all of a sudden, they're being engulfed by these stormy waters a long way from any hope of safety. They were a long way from shore. But secondly, as we read, there was the direction of the wind. The New King James that we read from, it says the winds were contrary they were difficult. It was against them. They're being tossed to and fro, ever closer to disaster. They were battling the wind, and the wind was winning. And then it was as dark as it could be. I'd say the fourth watch of the night. It's about 3, uh, 3 a.m. in the morning. And it had been several hours. The disciples had been from shore, and they surely were exhausted from their efforts. But right in the middle of their greatest concern, here comes Jesus walking on the water just in the nick of time. Could we agree that he's always on time? Now, he's not ever there as quite as soon as we want him to be there. I mean, I think that we, we could all agree with that. But he's always on time in his providential will. I've often said God's delays are not God's denials. So to you who wonder, is God ever going to show up for me? The answer is yes, he will. There's a faithfulness in God. He's, he, he, he's ever present with us in our time of need. 
You know, I think about the great psalm that David wrote in Psalms 23. What did he say? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? You're with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God will be with me. I know Mary's, one of Mary's favorite verses, that Isaiah 43 verse, when you pass through the waters... He says, I'll be with you. When through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to get burned. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. You know, the greatest news I can give the person who is beset by problems and overwhelmed by their own predicament is this. God will be with you. I love the story. I believe it's in Judges 6. could be in Judges 7, but... But the story of Gideon, and God says, oh, mighty man of God, you know, uh, he's calling him to really lead the people of God in that era of the judges. But I'm telling you, God's people were in a a mess with the Midianites. Every time they started something good, they'd they'd come and they'd they'd attack them, and they they, they were just, just in horrible shape. And you know what Gideon said? Listen, why's all this happened to us? To which... The Lord said, I'll be with you. He didn't give him an explanation of why did all that had happened. But he did give him this promise, I'll be with you. What's Jesus' command to all of us before he ascended back to the Father? Lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. We used to sing a little chorus. It's been a lot of years ago, but, but I always loved it. In the presence of Jehovah. You remember that y'all sing that? God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. I tell you, you get close to God, and guess what? All of a sudden, those overwhelming problems diminish. Let me move thirdly. I believe the text is saying God's purpose often will stretch us as well. It will stretch you. Verse 27, Jesus comes to calm the storm, their anxious hearts, by telling them not to be afraid. Because what had happened, the fear, their own personal fear had, had destroyed their confidence and assurance. That's what fear does. That, 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 all the people who've ever been beset by fear, usually without question, is because their faith has been overcome by their fear. Not their faith overcomes fear, but, but that's the issue. Now, I, I wonder how many are dealing with fear this morning. I, I remember reading an article in USA Today not that long ago by a guy named uh, uh, Fred Culbertson. He collected and organized data of fears that haunt people. He lists about 500 fears that scare people, but he goes on to say what what Americans fear, and these were the top three. One is snakes. Number one is snakes. Number two is public speaking. And the third is heights. Heights. Well, that's not my top three, I will tell you that. I'm probably afraid of heights as as much as anything, quite frankly. Uh, You know, I I don't have a problem flying, but you put me on the edge of something or near the edge of something, man, I can hardly stand it. We went to New York uh, last year. Uh, We went up to the Empire State Building. Mary doesn't have the same fear that I I, I do, believe me. So we go up to uh, the top of the Empire State Building where the observation deck is, you know. 
She's wanting to go out there and look over the edge. Holy cow, I'm, I'm in the elevator. I can hardly get off the elevator, much less get out there to the observation decks. I told her to go on out there. I just looked from where I was standing. I, I'm afraid of heights. Snakes, not so much. Public speaking, not so much. But I listen, I don't think the guy's right about any of this. You know what the number one thing people fear? That's dying. The reason snakes are number one, they're afraid snakes are going to bite them and kill them. I mean, that, that would be what I would conclude. Sure, we're afraid of dying. It's hard to imagine this world without us. But if Jesus tarries, this world will live without us, won't it? But there's a fear of dying. And that's exactly what's going on here in the boat. They are absolutely afraid that this was the end of their life. The last enemy had showed up, and these men were fearful. But Peter boldly says, Lord, if that's you, command us to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Jesus gives him the invitation to come. So certainly the Lord knows Peter better than anybody else, the capricious, compulsive apostle. And Peter is anxious and willing to get out of the boat to a one-word invitation that Jesus continually gave throughout the Gospels, come. What did he say to his apostles when he was calling them, come, follow me, come? What we read in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and in me you'll find rest for your soul. He says, come you blessed of my Father, inherit a kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. And can I tell you, if you're away from him in your life today, you know what he's saying to you? One word, come. Come on home. Come on back. And in me, you will find rest. Peter has a willing heart, of course, to obey this command. And there for a moment, his faith wins out. He walks on the water. I, I, you know, I can just imagine the council that's going on with the rest of the apostles there in the boat before Peter gets out of the boat. What are you thinking, Peter? Don't, you can't walk on the water. We're not even sure that's Jesus. Just a second ago, we thought it was a ghost. You're going to get out of this boat? But Peter obeyed anyway, didn't he? He gets out of the boat. He heads towards Jesus. And I will promise you, when we go for God, when we go in faith to the Lord, we're always going to get some negative input. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be cynics. And oftentimes, it's the peer pressure of our life that keeps us from being all we need to be for God. What are they going to think about me if I really live my life in total abandonment to the Lord? It's not conventional wisdom, but that's the kind of thing that keeps us from getting out of the boat and coming to the Lord. Peter's inclination is, I'm going to walk by faith, but soon what happens? It gets eclipsed by fear. It does. He, he looks around, he sees the wind, he sees the waves, and all of a sudden he is going down. Let me tell you, here's what happens with us as well. We live our lives for God, but all of a sudden there's some circumstances that come up in our life, and we begin to doubt the sovereignty of God over that situation. He, he, you know, he, he's not in control of this situation. You know what I'm going through? And surely Peter must have thought that. Look, 
I'm looking at these winds, and I'm, I, I'm, all of a sudden I've taken my eyes off Jesus. All I'm concerned about is I'm surrounded by a big old storm. And when he did that, he began to go down. And so it is with us. If we'll continue to walk by faith, we continue to walk with God. And then, all of a sudden, he sinks, and he certainly prays a, a, an important prayer. Short, it's the shortest prayer in all the Bible. Three words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Do you realize that's the very prayer that can send you to heaven today? Lord, would you save me? Lord, I recognize you're, you're, you're the Lord of all. Would you save me? You know, I'm afraid oftentimes we live our lives in constant fear. Not that we don't believe in God, but fear overrules our faith. I wonder today, would we say with the psalmist, Oh, Lord, you're my refuge and my strength. Lord, you're my ever-present help in time of need. Therefore, I will trust in you. Listen to this. And I will not be afraid. i got to wind this up. Thirdly, or I should say thirdly, fourthly, that was thirdly. Fourthly and finally, God's protection will shelter us. We see Peter here calling out to God in this desperate plea. His faith had been enough to get him out of the boat. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and all of a sudden in desperation, he calls out to God. I want to ask you this question today. What is it in your context, your situation, in your desperation that prohibits you from calling out to God? I'm convinced oftentimes it's our pride. It's our pride. We think we can handle this. We don't need to call upon God. Some of you would rather drown than call upon him or humble yourself in your time of need. Don't let your pride keep you away from calling upon God. Sometimes it's presumption that keeps us from calling out to God. Well, Casey Ross or Raw, what's going to ha- happen to me is going to happen to me. Doesn't matter if I'll call out to God. This thing is fixed. There can be no help for me. And you just presume on things rather being obedient and calling out to God in your time of need. And sometimes I, I believe it's pretense. We don't call out to God because we don't have a real faith. It's, it's a pretentious faith. We're just pretending to be people of faith. But it's not real faith. But I'm telling you today, God in your situation is coming to you and he's offering his hand in your time of need. Jesus reaches out. He saves Peter, but he says this to him. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? It reminds me of what James wrote in his epistle. Listen to what he said. For those who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. See the analogy? But see with me the proof of Jesus' divine power once again. He's the Savior. He and Peter get back in the boat. The test is over. It served its purpose. And the text says they worship God. They worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they gave an affirmation of the witness. Surely you are the Son of God. Do you realize that's where Jesus wants to take each of us today? To a stronger and greater place in our faith. 
continually confessing, continually believing in him. Yes, we may be in a storm. Yes, we may find ourselves in a problem we're overwhelmed with. And we do not know what to do. But I say to you, call out to God. Jesus is on the way. Put your trust in him. He'll meet you at the point of your need. Would you bow your heads with me today? We go through trials of life because we need to be sober-minded enough to see how needy we really are. You may be here today, and it's a message that God had for you just specifically. Maybe you're going through some trials in your life, and you're wondering, what's going to happen to me? Is this the end? Is there another day left for me? And while I can't tell you those things, I can tell you this. You flee to Jesus, and he'll be with you. He'll take you by the hand, and he'll love you. He'll embrace you. He's calling to you. You're asking the question, Lord, is that you? And he's responding the same. He said, come, come to me. You may be here today, and this is affords you an opportunity to come forward and just get on your knees at this makeshift altar, these steps, and call out to God and say, Lord, I want you. I need you in my life. Help me get through the issues that I'm dealing with. I've got nowhere else to turn, and I don't want to turn to anyone else except you. And you pour out your heart to God. He'll hear you. He'll act upon it. You may be here today and you need to make public a decision that the Lord has placed on your heart. Maybe a pretentious faith. I don't know. Maybe an abandonment of faith. Maybe you've gone your way. Maybe you've just faded in a relationship you once had with God, but now it's stale, it's indifferent. And you lived in the far country so long you've become callous to even your own bad behavior. Could this be the day that God's calling you home? By a simple one-word invitation, he says to you, come. Come. We're going to extend our invitation when we stand to our feet. We're going to sing this invitation hymn. I'm going to be here at the front if you'd like to come and pray with me. Others will be here if you'd like to come and pray with them. This will be your opportunity. Father, now we realize that you're sovereign over every situation. And certainly as we give this invitation, we acknowledge while we can give the outward call, only you can change a heart. Only you can redirect a life. Only you can take old things and, and, and bury them in the depths of the sea and begin a new life for those who respond. I pray to that end today. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this hymn of invitation that Davis is going, David's going to lead us in. If you'd like to come, this is your opportunity while we pray.
Wonderful, wonderful fitting song. I hope that's your prayer today as well. God bless you for being here today and uh, thank you for your encouragement that you always are to Mary and I here at Hoffman Town. We love you. God bless you as you leave.